Hello, Hyrock. Welcome to our daily devotional. And just as a reminder, before the weekend, we ended up in the earlier part of this chapter where God informs Moses that he needs to go down the mountain to the camp because the Israelites have crafted a, um, a golden idol and are worshiping it. We're going to follow up on that passage today and tomorrow. So we are now in Exodus 32 verses 15 and following where we read this. Then Moses turned and went down the mountain. He held in his hands the two stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant. They were inscribed on both sides, front and back. These tablets were God's work. The words on them were written by God himself. When Joshua heard the boisterous noise of the people shouting below them, he exclaimed to Moses, It sounds like war in the camp. But Moses replied, No, it's not a shout of victory, nor the wailing of defeat. I hear the sound of a celebration. When they came near the camp, Moses saw the calf and the dancing, and he burned with anger. He threw the stone tablets to the ground, smashing them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf they had made and burned it. Then he ground it into powder, threw it into the water, and forced the people to drink it. Finally, he turned to Aaron and demanded, what did these people do to you to make you bring such terrible sin upon them? Don't get so upset, my lord, Aaron replied. You yourself know how evil these people are. They said to me, make us gods who will lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. So I told them, whoever has gold jewelry, take it off. When they brought it to me, I simply threw it into the fire and out came this calf. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I just love that that ending there. It sounds like a it sounds like a six year old kid. Exactly. I just did it, and and it just it just happened. I don't know what happened. Well, God tells Moses that there's uh, they've made a false idol. He, they need to go down to the mountain, and Moses does go down the mountain. So Moses now is carrying with him these two tablets with God's law written upon them front and back there. And I think it's important that the, they stress a lot here that this is not written by Moses. This is not Moses's law. It's, it's not even interpreted by Moses. These are the laws, the 10 commands that are written in stone by the finger of God. These are the, the same laws that were spoken directly by God to the people to which they agreed. And, you know, right on those, those commands as we've gone through them, the very first two commands are, you shall have no other gods and you are not to make any idols. And they haven't even received it, and uh, at least the written form, and they've already broken uh, the first two. I think this is really a, a poignant and accurate, a prophetic vision of the human condition, that God is continually trying to speak. God is sending people with God's word. But people are too anxious to wait, and, and they silence their fears in eating and drinking and passionate indulgence and the making of our own idols. And Moses coming into this, he, he burns with anger. He returns to his familiar response. Up on the mountain, he was talking God out of his own anger, but now he's having that same anger. In fact, in the, in the Hebrew, it's literally the same wording uh, written for God's anger back in, in verse 10 in Moses' anger here. But... Um, you know, so Moses decides to break the tablets in this anger. And I wonder here if this is something that was 
a good thing or a bad thing? Like, because on the one hand, Moses is like we've talked about, Moses has this problem with anger. It's going to be uh, a sin that's actually going to keep him out of the promised land. He, you know, he, it, he killed the Egyptian in anger. He has all kinds of problems due to his anger. But on the other hand, it is the same anger that God, that the scriptures say that God had. And there was good reason for that anger. You know, the people had already literally broken the covenant that they heard from God, which they had promised to keep. So Moses, maybe in a prophetic act, a uh, prophetic reenactment dashes the law to the to the ground, the covenant to the ground as a witness against them that they have broken God's commands, that they have broken God's covenant. But the thing I love most in this passage is Aaron's response. Like Moses initially says, you know, what did these people do to you? And, and Moses has been in the, you know, been uh, in situations where these people have been a problem to him before. So maybe he's like a little bit sympathetic at first, but he seems kind of exasperated. Like, what did they do to you to, to make you bring such terrible sin upon them? Like, you're you're supposed to be leading them. And at first, Aaron does what <laughs> a lot of leaders do. He blames the people. He says, uh, well, you know how evil these people are. Like, you know, we're, buddy, you know, we, we, we're both on the same team here. We know how much trouble they are. Um, but then he adds... You know, that I so I just told them to bring me their jewelry and I, I threw it into the fire and pop out came this calf like like magic. And so Aaron it still is not really leading. He's still kind of blaming other people rather than taking responsibility. And I think it's an amazing reminder. It's a, a really accurate to life picture of the ways that we can be really good at excusing ourselves, uh, even when we're caught red handed, even when there really is no conceivable excuse. We all have the same propensity that Aaron has, but it's especially troubling when as leaders, we, first of all, like before, we when we want to, rather than leading people, we want to lead from behind, as you said before, that we, we're, we're following the crowd rather than actually leading the crowd. But then also simply um, this idea that we don't want to take hard stands. We don't want to uh, be true to any principles. And, and in the end, we don't want to take responsibility when we eventually get caught. So I, I, it's a really sobering reminder in a lot of ways. And uh, that's kind of what I see in this passage. Dave, I'm wondering what you see here. Well, picking up where you stopped, I think the, I, I also agree that the, the part that's most interesting, well, maybe I, I am interested that Moses, even if it is a prophetic act, even if it is symbolizing that these people already broke the covenant, you know, all, I just, I cannot imagine having tablets that God himself etched with his own finger and then smashing them on the ground. I mean, it just, it, it, it's, you know, incredible. And, and I think it, it would be almost indefensible unless it is a symbolic act, right? That, that he's, he's not saying I'm smashing these. He's saying you have smashed this, this now this covenant cannot exist this way. Uh, and, and, I think one of the things that ends up being very interesting about all of these covenants is that they're they're uh, bilateral. God says God initiates them all. You know, He's the one that takes the first step. But but then you know, here's what I'll do. Here's what you'll do in response, and, and we'll sort of work out a little deal, a covenant. But I think this then is going is this slow setup, and I'm going to come back to this in a minute. But it's this so slow setup for. When Jesus says, you know, what kind of the words that we do every time, the words of institution, uh, this is a new covenant in my blood, right? And the thing that makes this new is that Jesus did both sides of the covenant, right? Mm -hmm. he, he makes, he, he does both God's side and the human side. He fulfills 
He is our righteousness that we can't be. And that ultimately is what makes the new covenant, right? The new Testament. uh, That's what makes it so fundamentally different. It builds on the old, but it has the, it's not just another in a sequence. It is now fundamentally different in that God has made a new kind of covenant in which he has fulfilled this other piece on our behalf. Uh, So I think that's this long setup, but I agree with you, kind of the, the most humorous and relatable, relatable part is, you know, Aaron, because you're, you're right, it almost sounds like, you know, you said the six-year-old, you know, is walking by and just kind of got, I, I was walking right through the kitchen and this cookie just fell off the shelf into my mouth, practically choked me. I, I had to eat it to survive. You know, like you could just, the, the, the ridiculousness of this. Uh, and, you know, I, I simply threw it into the fire and out came this calf. Who knew? Who could have seen this coming? On the one hand, there's this pity that I have for Aaron uh, because, you know, it's easy to see why he's blameworthy. Uh, but by by not actually taking the blame, you know what he can't get is forgiveness. Mm-hmm. And, and I think this is where people say that, like, sin, I know it's not popular these days to talk about sin. It's very judgmental. It's mean. I go, no, 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 no. It is mean to not talk about sin because unless there's fault, there can't be forgiveness. Right? There can be excuses, but there can't be forgiveness. And unless there's forgiveness, there can't be freedom. And so that actually when I can, you know, my wife says, you did this. And I'm like, no, well, it wasn't really like that. You don't really understand. It wasn't. As long as I'm making excuses, I can't be forgiven. Right? We're just going to continue to be at loggerheads. But when I can finally go, you're right. I did say that. I did that. I didn't do this that I should have done. Whatever. I'm wrong. And I'm sorry. I actually set up this really neat opportunity for something far more powerful than getting away with it. Because I'll know that it wasn't real. She'll know that it wasn't real. And our relationship will be less intimate as a result. But if I can actually say that I was wrong, admit it, right, and repent, now she has the choice. And this is what is so vulnerable about it is I don't, you know, maybe this will be the time she doesn't. But this is the moment where she can forgive me, right? And I can actually have been honest about who I was and been accepted and loved, right? Embraced as the person that I actually am. That's the beauty of sin. That I'm not saying of sin, but of of acknowledging the sin, of admitting the sin, of naming it, is now I can be forgiven. And I think so many of us, and especially in our closest relationships, are can be very afraid of confessing sin because we're afraid that instead of getting forgiveness, we're going to get recriminations, we're going to get blame, we're going to get all this stuff piled on. And sadly, in some cases, that may be true, in which case, at least then we can go to God and receive forgiveness there, right? Other people, they may or may not. But but I think that because the same dynamic, it, as long as I keep trying to convince myself that I'm actually a good person, and, you know, I, I actually, you know, what I did isn't so bad. A lot of people do worse things. You know, everybody does what I did. As long as I keep on trying to evade things, I'm never going to be able to receive God's forgiveness. But the countervailing force, what I think is so interesting is, you know, you've talked many, many times that one of the ways that you know that the Bible is so distinct from other kinds of ancient literature and sort of has this ring of truth is that Moses writes about Moses's own failings. Right. David writes about David's own failings. Uh, you know, the, Peter writes about Peter's own failings. You know, it, it, like all of these characters tell the exact stories you think they would never want to tell. Mm-hmm. 
And that's kind of how you know this is real because nobody's going to make up those stories, right? They, they might make up stories of them being heroes and, and all that kind of stuff. And when they said, verse 22, and you yourself know how evil these people are. You know who those people are? It's the very people who are telling these stories time after time and time again. And so interestingly, they're telling a story about Aaron who could not admit the truth about who he was. But in that same story, they are admitting the truth about who they are. And I think that is a very then powerful setup. So they're ready to receive the gospel of Jesus, right? The good news of a new covenant, a new way of relating to God, where God has been faithful. Because the reality is we are so evil that we cannot be on our own. It doesn't matter how low God makes the bar, right? And this, I feel like in Ten Commandments, the bar is fairly low. It, any bar is too high and because of who we are. And that's once we can appreciate that, once we acknowledge that, now we can appreciate the sweetness of the gospel of Jesus. I think even when we make our own bar, when we have our own code of ethics, we all violate oh. our own codes of ethics. And and borrow, you know, in speaking of Jesus, Jesus used a metaphor of like the sick needing a doctor. And it's only if we admit that we're sick that we can finally be healed. So That's right. uh, there really is an invitation in the recognition of sin is that it's not just there is no hope that we have hope in the one who heals all sin. And, and so maybe just as we're thinking about this and we're hearing this, for those of you who are listening today, I actually... Maybe it's worth taking a minute to acknowledge a place where you have sinned. You, you try to dress it up in something else, but you can acknowledge that you've sinned. Bring that to God. Bring it to the person that you sinned against. And have the opportunity to receive forgiveness, which could allow you to experience a very different kind of intimacy, being loved and accepted as the person you actually are, rather than the person that you're pretending to be or wish you were. Well, Dave, with that in mind, would you close us in prayer? Yeah, let's, let's pray together. God, you are the one who had to make a covenant in which you kept both sides, and you are the one who did. God, you are the one who sees our sin and loves us anyway. You are the one who doesn't pretend we didn't sin, pretend we're perfect. You're the one who loves sinners. You're the one who forgives sin. God, we receive your forgiveness first, and then we ask for your spirit to walk in a way that gives you joy and delight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, everyone, thank you for joining us today. This story has a part four, so I hope you'll join us again tomorrow uh, as we cover that. Go in peace.